Hello everybody and welcome back to another Sponge Chat. Uh, as you can see, I'm doing something a little differently today. Uh, I'm out in the sun. It's quite sunny in Tharigotha, so I thought, you know what, it's a perfect opportunity uh, to get some sun and do my introduction to the Sponge Chat. Now, recently I had the pleasure to sit down and speak with Daniel Jackson, um, who, for those of you that follow the blog, uh, will know that I, I reviewed his Cambridge Element some time ago, which is a a brilliant overview of task-based language teaching uh, and you should definitely check it out. Within this sponge chat we did speak about task-based language teaching funnily enough and uh, we actually expanded on or extended if you will some of the points that were brought up with my sponge chats or from my sponge chat with Martin East uh, in which we also looked at uh, task-based language teaching. So in this sponge chat we, we went a little bit further and we looked at things such as, you know, the, the role that implicit and explicit learning plays uh, in language learning and within task-based language teaching. We looked at perhaps the, the rationale for an uppercase or a very strong version of task-based language teaching and also the, the, the positives of something like a task-supported syllabus. Of course, we also looked at uh, some advice and it was interesting because we looked at some advice for, for teacher educators uh, looking to implement TBLT in their, in their context. And uh, on the topic of teacher education, we also touched on something that I hadn't really heard about before uh, until I started chatting with uh, Daniel over LinkedIn. And this is this idea of teacher noticing. Um, so how teachers or what teachers notice in class and how they react to that. Um, and uh, so we looked at that and sort of the importance of that uh, and that was really really interesting. Um, as usual we had some some brilliant book recommendations, uh, some new ones as well, some, some books that haven't actually been on the list as of yet. Um, so I hope that you find value in those. And as usual uh, if you do have any comments uh, about the sponge chat or any requests please leave them in the comments on YouTube or on LinkedIn and because uh, I do read them and I'll get back to you. So without further ado, here's the Sponge Chat with Daniel Jackson. Have a great day. Well, um, I'm here with Daniel Jackson and, uh, and, and first of all, uh, Daniel, just want to say a huge thank you for, for your time uh in as i said before what i can only assume is a very busy schedule um it's uh when, when you agreed to this punishment i was like oh, yes got him <laughs> <laughs> well thank you thank you for inviting me and uh yeah i i'm happy to make time for this um yeah, i'm not teaching at the moment I'm, we're in between semesters so okay so i've uh we, we chose a good moment then i suppose we did yeah we did yeah, yeah. Um, just just so that uh, everyone's right, you're you're based in Japan. Japan, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. In Chiba, Japan, um, not far from Tokyo. Okay. My my geography with Japan is I'm not I'm not even going to talk about geography of Japan, but um, okay. but in terms of the uh, I mean I'm in Spain, and at the moment we're just coming out of what's supposed to be uh spring it at the moment so it's quite i mean it's going to be 20 degrees today in in japan what's it like there well it's uh it's the beginning of spring yeah it's it's starting to look um 
uh, more like spring. And and the um, this, of course, is the is the beginning of the cherry blossom season, which mm. is, I think, many people would say is the most beautiful time of year beautiful. in Japan. So, yeah, yeah. So everyone should and, visit yeah. now. <laughs> they should definitely please come visit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and we're also, we're also, it's also the time of the year when we begin our school, uh, term. So we're, we're looking forward to welcoming the new students, uh, in April. Yeah. Okay. So what is the, uh, this is a bit off topic, but what is the, when does the academic year start and end in Japan? Hmm. Yeah. It starts in April. Um, ah, and then it ends in, in, uh, this classes end in January. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really um, interesting. Mm. um because in spain it's quite different um mm -hmm. we our academic year starts in october september yeah um september october mm -hmm. i should say and then ends in june and then we and then there's a, a quite a large yeah that's that's more what i'm used to from from the united states yeah mm. that's how it is there yeah okay well uh we've we've gone off topic already uh, okay <laughs> which <laughs> which is the normal yeah. theme of sponge chats anyway let's get let's get into <laughs> to the questions that we that we we looked at before um so my first question well actually before we get into the question i should probably give the the, the spiel about sponge chats so sponge chats all started i can't i don't even remember when they started but basically with this idea of um someone asked me how i moved into teacher teacher education basically and and i wanted to to explore that question a little bit further because i came to realize that uh no matter the career path you take in in language teaching um whether it's materials writing research in for example in your case or teaching as well um or teacher education management the career path is is or the way to get there is often quite different for every person and so I wanted to to show people that there are numerous ways of 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 achieving um, different goals within within language teaching, and hopefully add, you know, keep people in the profession um, because we do often lose a lot of people to mainstream education, or worse, they just leave education uh, in general. And so yeah, so I these sponge chats have kind of evolved now into. Mm. Uh, what I call perspectives, and we look at sort of a, a certain area within um, EOT, and uh, and and thankfully I have you here today to look at the 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 perspectives on TBLT, which is going to be great. Something that I'm really really passionate about, and something I know that you're very passionate about. Yes. Um. So uh, enough from me. Let's turn over to. You. There's always a big question at the start of Spanish chats, and it's that's who are you? Who is Daniel? Okay. Okay, good way to start. Um yeah. I okay, I'll tell you. Um I first began teaching um uh, with an organization called uh Literacy Volunteers of America. Um and that was um after college and I um I I had uh gone back to my hometown in New Jersey and I I started um tutoring right um to uh groups of um immigrants to the united states uh through this organization so that uh lasted a little while and then i i decided it you know it, it was interesting um i enjoyed doing it i could try to make a career out of it mm -hmm. um so then i went to the university of pennsylvania uh to do my masters in tsol and um 
after that, I moved to Japan and started teaching at a university here. Um, and then that was that was initially an internship for two years, but then it turned into eight years. Um, oh. And uh, yeah, <laughs> um, sort of unexpectedly. Um, but yeah, I, I, at that time, I started getting more interested in um, research and I was trying to do research in my classes and um, within the program that I was working for. Um, so eventually I thought I, I had better go and do my PhD. Um, and that's when I, um, that's when I enrolled in the, um, in the second language studies department at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Um, so I moved from Tokyo to Honolulu and I was there for five years working on my PhD. Um, it was a great experience. I was taking classes, um, teaching classes, doing some editing work. Um, fortunately, I got um, a fellowship when I was finishing up my dissertation, so I had plenty of time to write it. Um, and then um, once I graduated, I moved back to Japan uh, to start teaching at Kanda University of International Studies. Uh, which is where I am now. And at Kanda, I am, um, well, I teach mainly undergraduate classes. So um, I teach a course on English for academic purposes for the first year students. And I also teach um, courses that are um, sort of uh, content-based courses. Um, what That Actually, my TBLT course is is one of those courses. Um, and then I also teach sort of more advanced uh, courses on um, on second language acquisition, applied linguistics. And I would maybe call those more like um, English medium <clears throat> type courses, yeah. right? And those are for the third and fourth year students. Um, so that's all the undergraduate program. And then for the... Um, for the graduate program, I also teach uh, for the MAT cell program, and I um, I supervise students in that program as well. So that's what I've been doing. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It it can be uh, sometimes. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, obviously, you've compressed quite a few years of of work there into you know all of about a minute. Um, well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I guess that that's over the span of. Um, 20 something years 25 years yeah 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 um and that's a serious commitment to 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 the industry uh the industry the profession <laughs> however you'd like to, to to view it yeah um yeah. some quite interesting aspects there like I, i'm completing my ma at the moment um mm -hmm. and uh it was interesting because before i did my ma i did my delta um yeah and the delta was 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 amazing it was very practical and and it took mm -hmm. my teaching to, to to where it kind of needed to be and it showed me where i needed to learn more but the ma mm -hmm. i'm finding is very very interesting from from sort of the theoretical un underpinnings sort of aspect mm -hmm. um but then you've taken that further and done the phd um what was that journey like um because you mentioned mm -hmm. it was it was five years in hawaii i mean being in Hawaii, first of all, sounds amazing. Um, it is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that yeah. that process of 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 carrying out a PhD and something that we I haven't actually spoken about 
with anyone on Spanish chats and something I'd like to look at further mm -hmm. because I know there are people that are interested in that. Um, mm -hmm. How how did you decide to do that, first of all? And mm. um, very briefly, I suppose, what was that process like going through the PhD? Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. I'm trying to think back to where that may have started. Um, well, I mean, like I said, I was... I was doing some research um, when I first came to Japan at that at the university where I was teaching, um, and I guess I felt that I couldn't really. I mean, there were there were a lot of things that I could do that were um, maybe um, innovative or or perhaps ambitious. I mean, I was I, I had already got had some familiarity with TBLT. So I was trying to, um, I did a project where I um, had the students um, communicate in tasks, but they were doing it through uh, com computer mediated communication. So they were doing it through a chat program. Um, and I was also involved in some sort of assessment projects that use tasks. Um, and this was all sort of part of our curriculum development. Um, that I was doing with other people, right? Um, and often I, I, I guess I had two or three colleagues at the time who were doing PhDs or who were finished and, and right. I was working closely with them. So they were definitely an influence on me um, because I saw them doing it. Um, I, I thought, well, okay, this is, this is kind of the direction that I'm going. Right. And um, I, I did realize that there were certain um, limits to what I could do right, without uh, further education. And so that was definitely, I think, part of the reason why I decided to do it. And, and you know, I was still reading at the time. I think I just developed a habit um, in, in college and in graduate school of just reading everything I could on, on second language learning. At the time, I was reading a lot of um, research in second language acquisition. Yeah. Um, and I had always been fascinated by um, the noticing hypothesis, Richard Schmidt's uh, noticing hypothesis. And so that's kind of that's what helped me sort of decide on Hawaii because he was there. Um, and then I think, um, yeah, I, I kind of, yeah, really gradually. I mean, I, I was I was employed full time. So it was actually kind of a big decision to break away from that and mm -hmm. go and do this new thing that I, I had no idea whether it was going to succeed or not. Um, and a little bit scary, right? I, it's, but, you know, I gradually got into it because I went to Hawaii for the um, task-based language teaching conference in 2007. Mm. And so I saw the program. I saw what it was like, beautiful campus, you know, really nice people, great food. Everything was, you know, mm. as I thought, right? <laughs> um, and then that, that kind of gave me more confidence. And then I met people. I started to meet, you know, people in the program and talk to them and there. And eventually I was convinced I could do it and I applied. And uh, I think, um, yeah, I, I was my, I remember one thing I asked my advisor, um, you know, um, I, I sat down, I, I had an interview with them before I joined the mm -hmm. program. And, um, and I said, you know, at the end of the interview, I said, do you think I should apply? <laughs> and he said, it's not like, it's not like you have no business applying. <laughs> so um, I went ahead and I, I got in and yeah. Was, Brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's, it sounds like it's obviously a big commitment, you know, like. You're, it was you're, for me, you know, yeah. it was. And, you know, I, I shouldn't, I think it was big for me because I was, like I said, I, le I, I left a job 
Um, and I think I had about a year left on my contract at that stage. Um, but it was also, uh, I should say as well, it was the type of contract that um, uh, they weren't going to renew. Okay. Again, I had already renewed it three times and that was that. Um, so I, I had to figure out what to do within a year right. or so. Okay. Right. And that, that seemed like the, the, the right choice for me. Um, and so, yeah, so that okay. was that. Um, I, I would say there are other ways of doing it. I mean, I could have decided to just um, find another job in Japan and then do the PhD part-time or something like that which is what a lot of my friends have done. And I think that's a, you know, that's also a very good way to do it. Um, or I had people, I had also other friends who were doing theirs online. Um, mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of different options now. Definitely, I think that's, yeah. that's worth thinking about. Um, yeah. If, yeah, this if, is, you know, this is, mm. this is definitely something I'll have to explore with, 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 with others as well. Um, Cause I sure. Yeah. There are, there are many people that are, that are thinking about that nowadays. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I meet a lot of people th who are and who are thinking about that, and and I do think I do think there are a lot of options now. I think it's uh, it's quite flexible. You can find a way of doing it that suits you. Yeah. Now you did mention within you know the, the past five minutes or so some very interesting points, and hopefully we'll get back to them. Um, but one of the, the points that does stand out is, is this idea of your interest within task-based language teaching, which which started even before you you took on your PhD. So, mm -hmm. but where did your, you know, where was the spark? Where was that <laughs> moment where you thought, okay, task-based language teaching is something that I would like to take further and, well, write books about. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah. and obviously your research, it, you know, extends all the way back to, I think it's 2013 was that it was one of your, was was one of your, your first articles that I found. That was, um, so, that was one of the first, yeah. Yeah, so so I mean it's it's extended, you know, over a decade now. Um, mm -hmm. so what where did the spark come from? Where was that mm. that that where did the interest come from in TBLT? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And um it it began all the way back um in my master's program. Um where, you know, I, I joined um that program at the University of Pennsylvania in nineteen ninety eight. Um, and I was there until 2000. And so at that time, I was I was very fortunate. I got to work with um, Professor Teresa Pica, um, who everybody called Terry. Um, and so I was I was taking classes with with her and um, I was actually uh, doing some research for her um, as a research assistant. And um she had been doing a lot of, you know, she'd been doing research on, on tasks for uh, quite some time at that point. Um, and she was, she always brought it up in her classes. She talked about it a lot. Um, she was just a, I mean, also, I think I might not have been so attracted to the idea um, if, if I hadn't heard it from her you know right um because because it's it's hard to describe her for if you've never met her if you you know if you were never if you never got to meet her um she was just an amazing teacher just has all the qualities had all the qualities that a teacher um that you look for in a great teacher right, right. i mean she had she was she had charisma um she had this enormous intelligence but was also very you know a lot of humility about it about things that she didn't you know that were new to her um she had a lot of warmth 
you know, everybody says that they that she always remembered their names, and she, you know, ten years later she'll still remember you. Um, right. And 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 I found that to be true, you know, because I had to contact her years after I graduated from the program and ask her for a recommendation. It was just like, oh, how are you? You know, it was totally, yeah, you know, um, yeah, made that connection very quickly. Um, and then, um, you know, she she also, I mean, she had a a great sense of humor too, because, uh, there's one story that I remember her telling in class. And, um, I don't know. Um, I don't recall all the details exactly, but it was, um, she, um, was in Japan for, for, I think some research trip or something. And, um, she was introduced to a group of children and they were, um, I don't know if it was a family that she knew or maybe right. students at a school that she visited or something like that right so she got introduced to these japanese children and they said her name right it, you know this is um dr pika and the children were all laughing right um and they started calling her uh pikachu which is the name <laughs> of a, a a pokemon character yes yes <laughs> um and and so she just thought that was really you know funny and she told that to her classes and it was just you know she just was so down to earth right yeah um and you never i, I not never but it's rare to get that combination where somebody is like an in, incredible scholar but also just very um very very down to earth and so um yeah i just think she she just made such an impression on me and um and her research was yeah her research is inspiring it's still relevant um wow yes very yeah much so yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of the things that I think some of the themes that I still kind of have in mind from from her, from reading her work and from taking classes with her are one one of the things is that uh, she always talked about um, tasks as a bridge between second language acquisition research and classroom pedagogy. Like they were a bridge. That was the metaphor, right? That it's it's both, you know, theoretical and practical. And so that sort of that sort of helps with the, um, you know, the, the, the um, research um, practice divide. It kind of helps to resolve that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then another thing was, you know, always negotiation of meaning. Everything was about having, you know, getting students into a context where they would get input, they would have opportunities for output, um, and they would get feedback. And so that's what tasks do, right? That's they mm. provide that that you know that ascent those ingredients for for second language acquisition to occur. Um, another thing that I think is is still relevant, and we hear it all the time now, is you know um, she had she, she did a few projects on, um, and this is where I got involved. Uh, she did some projects on using tasks in content-based classes, um, or what we would call it you know, content and language integrated learning now. Um, yeah. But at the time they called it content-based language instruction. And so there was one project where they had a, um, it was sort of like a film class, I think. Mm -hmm. And the students were watching American films and learning about American culture or whatever. And then they would, they would do discussion tasks. So um, there were a few papers about that. Um, and then of course there's the, um, the taxonomy that she came up with, um, which has uh, five task types and they're, you know, it's a very good framework for understanding materials. If you have a 
textbook and you're looking at the yes. looking at it to evaluate the task you could just use that framework it's very it's a very um practical framework and so when i when i started writing the um my little book on tblt i used that in the first uh, section hmm. so it's um no i was i was just going to say that uh no, I mean her. Her work is, as, as we mentioned before, we, we when we were speaking, that her work is not only still relevant but but resonant within mm. <laughs> within within linguistics, yeah. Um, yeah. and 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 applied linguistics and language teaching, and uh, and it's great that you that um, that you had that experience. I think with her. Um, oh yeah, yeah, and. And 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 that that sparked your interest within within Tarsus language teaching, and I'm glad that that you brought up with what she said about it. it's a bridge between SLA and classroom pedagogy because that's that's something that 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 I really do believe as well, and mm -hmm. I, and I think that you know we're going to talk about teacher education later, but um, mm -hmm. and I do think that by by introducing tasks within the class we can actually try to bring the world of SLA to teachers in a in a much more friendly way. Mm. dare I say friendly way um, in, <laughs> yeah in, I hope we can yeah I, I agree yeah. yeah um because SLA can be scary you know you look at all these books and the research and stuff yeah. like that but if it, if, it, if it's done in, in a sort of a um a way that's sort of pedagogically grounded if you right. will um, teachers yeah, I have think a much that's... better understanding yeah. yeah I think that's what it was like it was sort of it made it very concrete um mm to to you know hear it talked about that way so we're talking about you know this need they need input they need opportunities for output and then the task is what does this right and this yeah. these tasks provide more of this and it's so it all sort of fit together nicely yeah um, yeah yeah <clears throat> so in and you kind of brought this up uh, before when you're talking about mm -hmm. it but if we if we sort of segue on now to sort of um mm -hmm. to tvot proper um okay. What uh, obviously it's very difficult to define TBOT within a few sentences, um, but how would you uh, perhaps differentiate TBOT from from other approaches within language teaching um, mm. within modern language teaching anyway? Yeah. Okay. That's that's a really good question. And um, before I try to do that, I think it it does depend to some extent on the version of TBLT. Um, and so there's there's these two sort of versions that people talk about or, or more really, but um, task-supported language teaching versus task-based language teaching. Um, and, and so with task-supported language teaching, you are just sort of adding tasks on, right, to whatever uh, syllabus you're using. Um, so that's, that's probably the most... Um, uh, widespread version of it, right? Where where you might find a, a textbook and they're they're they have a grammatical syllabus and then they have a a skills syllabus next to it and and then they have the vocabulary syllabus and then they have the task syllabus. So it's it's all of these things combined, right? Um, so that happens a lot, and um, you know that is contrasted with um, uppercase task-based language yes. <laughs> teaching sometimes right this is this is what mike long calls it in his book um and that is a bit different because um 
And that, that is actually easier to distinguish from other forms of language teaching because it's much it's a much more specific thing, right? Um, yeah. And so in that case, um, it would be, um, I, I think of it as sort of like a, like a pendulum, right? Where on one end of it, you have these extremely meaning-focused approaches. And on the other hand, you have extremely form focused approaches and then you have tblt right in the middle where it's trying to combine meaning a focus on meaning and a focus on form um so the meaning really strong meaning uh focused approaches might be the kind of thing you know that is expected in a study abroad program right where students are going to study abroad they're going to some country to learn the language and the assumption is they're going to pick it up, right? They're going to pick it up from all the daily encounters that they have with the language, right? They're going to soak it up or something um, because they're, they're focusing on meaning, right? Living, living their lives in this, in this new environment. Um, and then on the other end, you would get um, a, a very um, a strong emphasis on form would be something like... Um, the audiolingual method, right, where there's there's a list of grammar points that the teacher is aware of, and they go and teach those points to the students using things like uh, dialogues or drills, right. Um, but the idea is to is to just follow along with that grammatical syllabus and cover those points, right. Um, and the names for these are it's, it's names for these things that it's, you know, the analytic syllabus is the more meaning focused and the synthetic syllabus is the more form focused uh, uh, approach. Right. Um, now, TBLT is also analytic, um, which essentially means that the, um, the students are expected to analyze the language themselves, analyze the input themselves. Um, and what TBLT does is just try to set up uh, conditions for students to communicate through the language and then um, have them pay attention to the language more closely occasionally, right? And that's the focus on form part. Um, so originally focus on form was uh, only reactive focus on form. And, and so that would mean that, for example, um, the students are, are talking in a lesson and they're in their groups talking and the teacher would... Um, uh, use recasts or um, encourage negotiation um, where they're asking clarification request asking clarification questions and so on mm. um, or they can do things like um, elicitations right or just briefly give metalinguistic feedback like you should use the past tense there or something um, so all of that is the focus on form part and that's supposed to sort of give TBLT the um, you know the, the language give the students the language that's needed um but but it's only done um when the need arises right mm. during communication so that's how i would differentiate them i think that's that's how um uh, people have differentiated them like mike long would yeah would, would have done it that would have you know has has written about it that way um yeah. you you yeah i like how you're talking about uppercase and lowercase long's very in his book <laughs> he has some very strong words about lowercase tbot um but well, uh yeah <laughs> um yeah it's it's 
yeah i think i think his writing is you know he, there's a certain character to his writing that's uh it's yeah. compelling <laughs> um and, and you know i mean the takeaway is that tblt is really a a middle ground between extremely meaning focused approaches mm. and extremely form focused approaches yeah yeah, yeah. um it's interesting because I, I spoke to martin east um about yeah. in about tblt and his perspectives on it um because obviously he's he's quite obviously very prolific within the tbot world so right right i know i i i i saw that um that episode it was great yeah okay it was great uh, to well, see Martin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i i've i've talked i've corresponded with him so yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah. but he was kind of of the opinion you know um it may actually be quite difficult for in many contexts to implement a if we want to call it uppercase TBLT, um, yeah, simply because of the, the numerous factors that come into play, mm -hmm. um, and maybe a more viable option to get TBLT in the door mm -hmm. is the sort of the task-supported syllabi, um, and and for for managers, for, for teacher educators to try and push for that first, and then maybe in the future, in the perfect world, yeah, you know, we have that 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 uppercase TBLT. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 That's yeah. What, I think that's thoughts? very well. You know, I think that's very pragmatic. I think that's right. Um, and and that's what happens. I mean, um, I guess I would say to um, you know, I think in defense of uppercase TBLT, I'll just say this. Um, you know, it's. I think the argument is something like if you don't ever try to do the whole. Mm you know, fully fledged TBLT program, then we won't know if it works, right? Yeah. We won't really know if it's, you know, if it's truly effective unless we try to do all of these things, right? I think that's kind of the way people in that camp approach it. They say, but, you know, fine if you want to just do task supported, but we also have this version of it. And that is mm. probably, you know, we're saying this would be the most effective version. So let's, if we're doing something like a, um, methods comparison study then you want to you want to do a version that's as uppercase as you can <laughs> um and and then there are some studies i think that show that approach and there a few of them i put in the element in the um mm, in did. one of the sections there there have been there have been studies you know implementations that are actually very very thorough mm. um um and i think those are are worth a look really um but yeah i mean i i would agree with martin that it's much easier to go this route of you know yeah. introducing tasks as something that teachers can just try out in their class um and it will have benefits no matter you know no matter what right mm. um yeah because it'll get um, the students communicating well I, I suppose we could perhaps even go a little bit further into um the idea of that uppercase tblt and look at sort of the in in terms of how far do we we take this idea of basing mm. it on a needs analysis and mm. and mm -hmm. depending on on the types of learners that we're working with so for yeah. example um mm -hmm. i can definitely see let's say long's version of tblt which is very much um for those that are unfamiliar with it we're basing it on a, a on a needs analysis based mm. on what they need language to do um, so whether they're, you know, working in the tourism industry and they need to be performing certain tasks within the tourism industry. Um, 
but if I want to bring task-based language teaching into working into a context that works with, for example, um, learners in high school, um, right. the, their immediate sort of professional needs, academic mm -hmm. needs, we kind of have, have an understanding, but professional needs, we don't actually have quite a lot of data on that. How yeah. would you, what what would be your perspective? I know it's a very difficult question yeah. to answer, but okay. what's your perspective on bringing TBLT into that kind of context? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think that's an um, that does yeah that does sort of you're right that I I think there's this sort of um, I think what it is is that when you look at this literature on needs analysis, right, and there's there are not too many. First of all, I think there aren't enough published task-based needs analyses, right, right, out there. There really are. There are there are some very good ones, and um, but I think there need to be a lot more. And I think the ones that we have now are, like you were saying, they are focused on um, occupational needs or the you know vocational needs, or there are some academic ones. Um, and um and so there are those ones but the the younger you go the fewer <laughs> task-based yeah. needs analyses uh, there are and 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 if you think about something like very young learners right their needs are not they do not um first there's a couple of problems really is one you can't ask them what their needs are <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> because they can't tell you so you need some other method um and the other issue is that they don't know what job they're going to do. I mean, they may tell you they want to be an astronaut one day and the next day they want to be, you know, uh, yeah. uh you know, in the Olympics. Um, it, it's not, it's not going to be, you know, you, you could get some content from that, but it, you're not going to get your task, uh, from that probably. But, you know, I do think there are solutions to this. And I think it just means that we, we have to think about needs analyses a little bit differently. We have to sort of broaden, uh, our understanding of that. Um, and look at other sources so we can, for, for young learners, we can look at, there's an enormous literature on um, childhood development, right? Yeah. Um, and so we can think about children's needs, I think, are in terms of um, just, um, well, okay, if they're attending a school, right, literacy, you know, they have to start to acquire literacy. Um, they have an enormous need for play, um, discovery. It's something that they're 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 always trying you know to understand the world and discover it. Um, socialization, you know, with their friends, with their family members, um, and then just just physical activity. I mean, which is what they're always doing anyway. Um, so if you looked into that, you know, into those areas, what kinds of tasks would we be able to think of that are that orient to those? particular needs, right, for this this group of people who are not, you know, who are still um, very young, right? And I think that's the way to think about it, is really put yeah. yourself in that position of, of the learner and say, okay, so it's not going to be a job. It's going to be, um, how do you build this, uh, you know, this castle out of these blocks, right? Yeah. And, and you give yeah. them that, and, and you do, the, do that in the, in the target language, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think that's that's just that's just how people just have to sort of rethink it a little bit. And again, there needs to be more research on it and more publications that uh, that really show how people do this. And and um, 
and it, 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 the, the challenge is, yeah, you can't really rely on the needs analyses that have been done for adults, you know, for this. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I think that's mm -hmm. one of the, I mean, one of the questions that I'm going to ask you now, and perhaps we can deal with it now. Yeah. Um, issues surrounding sort of the implementation of TBLT for me as a mm. not only as a as a as a as a sort of a manager sort of a director of the studies of a of a predominantly a young learner and teen uh, academy within Spain but also okay. as a teacher educator who works with teachers and I'm advocating mm -hmm. I'm actively advocating TBLT mm -hmm. within Spain for example last weekend I was at a conference mm -hmm. and I actually presented on on using yeah. tasks with young learners Great. Um, okay that's fantastic and uh but one of the you know one of the issues that always comes up is well you know where where are all these tasks for young learners and things like that mm. um so it was great that yeah. you expanded on that but are there any other issues that you see as being um mm. you know kind of big i suppose or, or hurdles for us to jump over <laughs> with with implementing tbot um Obviously, obviously, it's very context dependent there, and I understand that. Yeah. But in, yeah. in general terms, are there, are there any other issues that, that that come to mind? Yeah, I do think. Yeah, I think there are issues. Um, there are plenty of issues, and and I like to think of it in terms of the the people who are involved, so the 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 learners and the teacher, um, essentially. Um, there are lots of theoretical issues, of course, but I don't. You know, I'm going to try to just talk about practical and and keep it on the you know keep it focused on the actual uh individuals involved so with the young learners right there we need to have a different kind of needs analysis um and we need to understand them a bit better and or differently because they're they're just so different um and that's kind of you know that's the past my past five years of experience with uh my daughter at home, right? It's, it's, it's right. all sort of, <laughs> it, it, I've really um, come to realize this <laughs> um, lately. Um, but but also I think there, there are other issues with, um, with adult learners. Um, okay, I could, I could talk about this in a couple of different ways that are very different. Um, one would be the issue of implicit learning and the other would be the issue of combining tblt with critical pedagogy so what do you want to get into which one of those do you want to get into let's go uh, let's go uh, they're, they're both very interesting and i'm like Ooh. okay <laughs> uh let's let's go to the first one first the 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 idea of ex, uh, sort of implicit learning which is i think okay. actually okay become, it's yeah. kind of a bit of an explosion in the last few years so yeah i'm looking forward to this one yeah okay okay so let's let's talk about this because it's it does kind of it does kind of naturally it kind of um you can kind of segue into it from child learners because the the assumption is that child learners learn implicitly, right? Mm -hmm. That's how they learn their um, their first language, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, that's actually an assumption, right? There are some people who challenge that and say, "Oh, their young learners are actually um, often very explicit about their language needs, and they'll ask you, mm -hmm. what does this mean?'" And you know, they'll consciously think about the language um but but you know very very young children are learning implicitly and that ability is um well i mean there's debate over whether adults actually have that ability right to to learn without um awareness right mm. 
um, and without intention. Okay. And so they're only using attention to learn when they're learning implicitly. All right. So, so the, it's really hard to give an example of this, but it would, I would just say something like you have some feature, feature X, right? Mm -hmm. And that can be a morphological feature or um, syntactic feature, phonological feature, whatever it is that's in the input and you're attend you're attending to it. Okay. But you're not aware of it and you're not trying to learn it. Okay. And you pick it up, right? That's implicit learning, right? That's mm -hmm. sort of, you know, again, it's like the sponge metaphor, right? That we can just soak up these things. Um, and, and I think if that worked really well for adults, then it would be much easier <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to learn a second language, right? And especially when you're looking at uh, combinations like where there's a big typological difference, English learning Japanese, it's, it's actually very, very challenging, right? Um, there's not a lot that I could take to it, right? There's not a lot of knowledge that I had already um, mm -hmm. when I went and started to learn Japanese that was relevant, right? Um, so... Uh, my experience has often been it's it's a very conscious process right yeah. um i'm not getting a lot for free right <laughs> i'm having to really mm -hmm. work at it um so so this is the thing i mean the idea tblt has been sort of um you know the 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 strong version or the uppercase version of tblt um it's been argued that this is um that um learners can learn this way because they will you know they, they have an implicit ability you know and that's the default mode of learning right and so i think that's something that you know we need we definitely need to have more research on and um i've done a study recently on this um with a colleague of mine um whose name is uh yo Maie. and um he was a student at Kanda, then he um he went on. He he was doing his PhD at uh, Michigan State University, and now he's he's graduated and he's he's teaching at uh, University of Tokyo. Mm -hmm. So um, what we did for this study is that we we wanted to understand um, implicit learning a little bit better, mm -hmm. um, and see if it is you know if it's actually a, a factor in adult language learning. So we, um, for this study, it was a meta-analytic study. And basically what we did was we just went out and searched the literature for all the studies that we could find on this topic, all the empirical studies that we could find on this topic. And so there were studies that, um, they're done in laboratories. They're not, you know, they're not done in classrooms or they're very highly controlled studies where, um, the researchers would give the participants an implicit learning test yes. and then also test them on um, their second language ability, right? Some specific ability, whether comprehension or production. Um, so we found a bunch of studies that did that. Um, and we were looking at studies that reported a correlation between those two things, right? Mm. Um, and so um, we were expecting to see, you know, a positive correlation. So implicit learning ability positively correlates with second language outcomes. That would mean that um, adults can can learn implicitly, right? Um, so we found, I think, 21 studies on this, and um, we um, we got the data from the studies, um, and we used um, an advanced uh, statistical analysis to um, to come up with a sort of aggregate um, mm -hmm. of the um, relationship, right? Mm -hmm. 
an aggregate score for this relationship between implicit learning and, and second language outcomes. So it's like a correlation, right? You can you can um, think of this as a correlation where um, the range can be from negative one to positive one, right? Um, and if it's zero, then that correlation is meaningless. There is no mm -hmm. relationship, right? Um, and it turned out in this study um, that the the value of the correlation was um, zero point one three. Okay, very, very small. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> but but it was assuredly positive. Okay, so it was um, positive. And, it was positive, and and we are, we we actually also went a step. We also have a you know a, a sort of there's another method you could do to to um, have a confidence interval, right, and show right. that 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 you know it's it's definitely in the positive. Um range right yeah. um and so so that's you know that was a really i mean on one hand it's you, you we would have wanted it to be stronger we would have wanted that relationship to be stronger mm. um but on the other hand it still gives hope that this is working right that that adults yeah. actually do have some implicit learning ability yeah um and so i think you know when i think of the um that what you know the takeaway for this is i think it's really that um you know one can say that this is a sort of um a given right mm -hmm. it's a sort of default state that people can adults can learn languages um without much um awareness um without intention to do so and then anything the teacher does is either going to um is going to you know work with that default or it's going to work against it right you know mm. um so so i think we have to sort of respect that <laughs> and 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 of course at the same time i think we need much much more research on this um because our study yeah. was uh it's a pretty small study as far as uh meta-analytic studies go usually there are a lot more um primary studies to use and in this case we only found it um at 20 or so so i'm hoping that that there will be replications of our study that that other people will come along later when there's more research on it and redo the yeah. the study and and sort of confirm that result um yeah but in the meantime i do think it it does give us some um some reason for optimism um but you know that's not the only thing i mean we we also when we do tblt we have a lot of opportunity for explicit uh, learning going on in the pre-task phase, going on in the post-task phase. There's uh, plenty of opportunity for incidental learning, which is also explicit. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it, it makes sense to leave room for learners to just um, learn more naturalistically um, according to their own abilities. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got millions of questions. Okay. I'll try. But but you, yeah. you raised some brilliant points. Um, it's quite interesting about what you found. And in fact, I think that that's the one of the articles that you sent me uh, quite a while ago. Yeah, uh, I think I sent that. That book is coming out um, actually very soon. Next month, I think it should be out. Um, wow, and it's brilliant. in. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll uh, send you the link. It's um, it's um in the Cambridge um, Applied Linguistics series. And the editors are um, Edward Wen, Peter Skian, and Richard Sparks. Um, okay, and they have well. a new book on aptitude and it's, it's in that book. 
Brilliant, excellent. Um, okay. Well, I'll make sure to put that link in there. Um, okay, great. Very, Thank you. Very, yeah. you know, no, no, definitely. It's it's very interesting to hear about the, the idea of implicit learning, and and I think that that kind of um, correlates in the sense of you know anecdotal data, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, like teacher oh, experience. Yeah. Okay. Now, I also I also think there's kind of a misconception yeah. with TBOT generally mm-hmm. that there is no explicit instruction, mm-hmm. um, which. Hmm. Which is, which is not true because because mm. there is right um, and yeah, that's this is, idea of whether you know the idea of reactive focus on form is is one element but then mm-hmm, it's kind mm-hmm. of that's an element that kind of diagnoses needs and provides kind of a rationale for perhaps yeah mm-hmm. post task explicit focus on something mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah yeah um and so and so that's that's quite interesting so so does that mean then. I mean, from 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 what your 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 studies have, have highlighted, does that mean mm. then that that this um, whether it's potentially post-task explicit focus on 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 form um, mm-hmm. or follow-up explicit focus, th- that's kind of necessary, right? That's the that gives mm. quite a strong rationale to follow up yeah. with with an yeah, explicit yeah. focus on form, right? Yes, I think I think so. I think I would agree with that because. Um... I think there are certain features that are are very hard to learn sometimes if you're not if you're not um, uh, directed to pay attention to them. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's that's the teacher's role is to guide attention to uh, certain difficult to learn areas, and that could be through the post task. Um, it can be, yeah, task repetition, and and you say let's try it again and and focus on this particular. Uh, part of the language so yes yeah yeah okay brilliant mm. Mm. very interesting yes very very interesting. yeah i yeah. like like i said I, th- I do think there are some misconceptions with you know the the teacher's role within tblt um right often, often a lot of focus is given to <clears throat> mm-hmm. the task and task mm-hmm. is central obviously task is mm-hmm. the 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 building blocks of the curricular and and what needs to occur in mm-hmm. in the lesson but then the teacher's role mm-hmm. and in fact we're going to we're going to teach we're going to talk about teacher noticing in a second i think this perhaps links quite well with this yes. um yes. the the role that the teacher actually plays perhaps we can mm-hmm. ex- explore that a little bit okay yeah what is the role of the teacher within um a task based lesson is it simply to mediate the task is it to is to, mm. is it to facilitate noticing or is it a sort of a a complex building of everything everything yeah <laughs> <laughs> so much there's so much it, it's it's actually hard it's it's really hard i think um for it's much harder than than other other methods where you're just yeah it is because you're 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 having to motivate them into the task you're having to explain the task model the input um and then get people into group do all the sort of classroom management uh things and then um, if you're getting ready to prepare for the post-task phase, you have to be monitoring the learners, right, while they're doing the task. I mean, of course, they go and do it on their own. And um, the teacher can kind of step away from that and, and save a little energy or whatever. But actually, you still have to be listening carefully and, and watching um, to, to ensure that they're making progress on it, but also to pick up on things that might be giving them difficulty if you're going to focus on those after um, so I think all those things are, you know, essential. And that's that's where teacher noticing comes in. Right? Brilliant. Well, let's explore yeah. that. 
what is okay. teaching? I mean, because you, you sent me you sent okay. me your 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 chapter, and I was like, wow, this, is, this is amazing. Why hadn't I heard of this before? <laughs> it, makes, it makes so much sense. But perhaps you can uh, yeah. give um, a, a brief uh, overview yeah. of what it was and and how that actually yeah. applies not only to TBLT because it's not only relevant to TBLT, but yeah, perhaps well, within a TBLT context. Yeah, well, it's it's funny that you know it's it's relevant to all teaching, I think, and it's it's actually not it's actually coming from outside of the language teaching field. Um, right. Because when I first heard of it, it was um, it was getting pretty big in the area of math and science education, and it still is, right? With with people who train um, math and science uh, teachers, it's a pretty um, widely known concept, um, and and particularly in North America, I think. Um, but the, but yeah, there's there's it's definitely relevant, and it's um, the way they've defined it, um, and I use this definition as well, is that it's. Um, it's um, um, attention, um, intention, and uh, decision making in the context of engagement with learners, right? Um, so it's so it's really all of these these processes that teachers are. It's kind of a bundling of of a lot of these processes that teachers are um, going through when they're when they're working with their classes closely, mm. right? Um, and I mean, I think we all have those moments, right, when we're teaching and um, everybody in the class is paying attention to this one thing, right? Mm. And you get into like this state of like flow that, okay, every, now we're really learning, right? Mm. <laughs> um, and that's, that's, actually, um, that's actually joint attention, right, is mm. that everybody is jointly attending to one thing. Um, and I, so I think that really underpins a lot um, of what should happen in tblt um where you know if we're talking about recasts i mean you have to be paying attention uh to the learner to really you know uh to be able to do that um and of course with with any other kind of reactive focus on form you need it um there really would that really wouldn't exist without teacher noticing right without yeah. a teacher to pay attention to that um and so yeah that's that's the definition of it that's the relevance of it um and I mean, there is, um, there's also, you know, the research that I've done on it, and I, I started doing research on that topic uh, when I was still in Hawaii. And so um, I did a paper with Min Young Cho on it. And then I did, um, I did my book on it, um, which was data that I collected here at Conda with the pre-service teachers, right? Mm -hmm. So mostly my research on that has been with pre-service teachers. And what I noticed with the pre-service teachers is that there's actually a lot of variation in um, how well they notice, right? And basically, typically what we do is we get them into, you know, we get a video of them teaching and then we ask them to talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then we, we code that data for noticing instances, right? Um, and what happens is you find that there are some people who are really, really good at noticing, right? They're really paying attention. Um, and they're really trying to interpret what their partner is doing or what their you know students are doing. Um, and they're making decisions based on it. They're doing all of those things. And then there are other people who aren't as good at that, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it kind of um, it's really interesting because you know it it kind of sort of um, dis it sort of upsets that novice expert distinction for me, right. because there are some people who are just starting out. And they're really expert noticers, right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then there's, of course, you know, there's also literature on how to um, improve this. 
and and there's a great idea that uh, that comes from that literature that is um, using video clubs. Mm. So you just get a video of your teaching, you bring it into the you, you know you, you find time with the other teachers at your school and you have a meeting to watch the video and just talk about what you're noticing, right? So I think that's a really good thing to be doing for for in-service teachers um, and for um, yeah, and for pre-service teachers, I think it's it's important to talk about this as a skill uh, that teachers need to have in in almost any contemporary language teaching because you 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 have to. It's all very reactive now, right? You're always yeah. responding to the students. You're always responding to some aspect of their their language use um, or their identity or or you know anything else. You have to be paying attention to to students, right? So, um, yeah. I think it's a really important concept, and I think there should be more, um, more research on it in language education. Yeah. Um, and I haven't, you know, I, I, yeah, I know of a few projects that are going on right now, and I'm, I'm hoping there'll be more on that. Um, but, because um, it does seem very practical. It, it does. Um, I mean, it, to without the sort of the research focus, m most of us would probably think of it as monitoring. Right, the idea of yeah. that you're 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 being aware of what's happening in the class, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I like how it's reframed as noticing, in the sense that there is a the there's mm. there's sort of uh, focused attention. I think that's mm -hmm. the difference here, right? That, that, yeah. that, you, that yeah. there's attention to what's going on and the ability to react appropriately mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. based based on what's noticed, right? Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. And and that's that's really interesting. Obviously, within TBLT, it becomes extremely important with the idea of focus on form, uh, or mm -hmm. that especially reactive focus on form, or even mm -hmm. that diagnostic taking into account of what's happening to to look at what I'm going to focus on in the post task phase. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah. and you're right. I I before you actually um, sent it through to me, I, I'd never heard of that term before. Um, yeah, it's quite interesting. Well. There's a lot of research on on reflective practice, right? Yeah. And the, that's mm -hmm. that's become the sort of dominant mode of um, teacher education, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then there have been calls, you know, uh, for reflective practice to be more data based, right? The, the, that's you know one of the sort of criticisms. Um, and my view of that is that you know i agree it should be more data-based and it should be more noticing based right mm. so i think i'm in favor of reflective practice i just think it should be based on what teachers are noticing right yeah. um so they you know when you have teachers you're training or working with and you want to have these dis these you know discussions and and reflection i mean it's ideally you can go back to their teaching and you can say okay this is what was going on what were you thinking right yeah. And and what were you noticing, right? Um, and have a discussion about that. I think that that would be really valuable as a um as a way of training teachers. Definitely. Uh this that's definitely something that we that I that I know for example, video observation is definitely something that, that we use in mm -hmm. my context. And we mm -hmm. often bring the videos into the post observation conferences and we mm -hmm. have a look at elements that happen and, and we try to explore that. Um yeah. But I like the word that the idea of noticing. What are you noticing in this element? Um, yeah, I I must admit that when I use these these videos, it's more of a okay, something mm -hmm. happened, and mm -hmm. we both know something happened, so we're going to analyze that event. But perhaps there needs to be more of a um, 
there's this part of the, the session or the lesson and we're going to watch it and and see what what both of us notice and compare notes mm. is that is that yeah. would that be the sort of the the takeaway for teacher educators for this um well i think i think if if any if there's any difference it's really about it's really about getting into the teacher's head and mm. saying you know what was that teacher thinking um, and what were the options, right? I mean, if you're attending to something and, and you see a, a student do something, you you know, what is your interpretation of it, first of all, right? And is that correct? Because you could have a class and, the, and a student is, um, you know, is frowning, right? Mm. Is that is that because they're concentrating or is it because they're they're confused, right? What What is it, you know? And so that step of interpreting it is so important to what happens next because if you if you interpret it one way you're going to do this if you interpret it the other way you're going to do yeah. something very different right so i think that's what it you know that's where it can be helpful is because you you have to sort of understand what the teacher was thinking um and and teachers should kind of be accountable to that right yeah um in order and and that will help them improve right that will yeah. improve their their teaching skills i think in the long run um, yeah. to be able to sort of understand what's going on in the class and then make your decisions based on it. But of course, you have to do that thousands of times in a lesson, right? It's it's constantly, you know, you're making all these decisions. And so you also have to sort of think about, you know, how swiftly are you able to make decisions, right? And what decisions are you making? And are these the right ones? And so there's a lot of questions you can raise based on that sort of um, that three-part framework where, you know, of course, you know, we want to be paying attention. Are we also paying attention with the learners? And then are we interpreting that, you know, that event yeah. um, accurately or are we misinterpreting it? <laughs> and then what are the decisions that follow, right? Yeah, I think I think all of that is a good kind of, gives you some kind of guideline to to go by when you're looking at videos of teachers, especially if they were the ones there doing it. Um, and they can tell you something about that, you know, from, they can recall something. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. Um, well, it seems like time is just flying by. So I'm going to skip through to, to it. <laughs> okay. So, oh, I want to go back to, to one of the other points. You you mentioned that there was potentially uh, an issue with TVO2 focused on critical pedagogy. Yeah, that's one that I, I was just reading. I think I, I, th I might have told you about... Um, I, I wanted to have books, you know, I, I'm always reading, right? And I have this, mm. I've been reading um, this fantastic book by um, Jeff Jordan and Mike Long, um, English Language Teaching Now and How It Could Be. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's it's an eye-opener. It's, it's such a great book, so well-written. And, um, and I did not, I, I didn't get a copy until after I finished my, um, my element on TBLT. And so I... Mm. I, I've been learning some new things, um, <laughs> which is always, you know, it's always exciting. And one of the things they said was actually um, because at the end of my at the end of my book, I, I kind of um, made this argument that TBLT should be combined with critical pedagogy. And I still think I still think that's the right way to go. And we need that now. Um, but what they said in their book was really interesting because they said that their version of TBLT is basically consistent with critical pedagogy except for one thing right and it's that in critical pedagogy learners are supposed to produce the materials mm. right but tblt has all of these detailed procedures for um generating materials from a needs analysis 
and then sequencing those according to, uh, you know, you go from simple to complex tasks and so on. So there's already a detailed sort of set of um, ideas for developing materials in, in that version of TBLT. Um, but I wanted to, you know, I was thinking about how do you reconcile this, right? I mean, how do you say we're still going to give the learner some um, some freedom to make decisions about materials, right? And how can you do that? And I think there's been good research recently on um, learner-generated content in tasks, where you where you know that basically they're given a sort of um, the general idea of the task, and they're and they're told, okay, now you you create some content and share it with your group or whatever. Yeah. And that is actually the studies that have been done on that are saying that 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 is actually very engaging. Mm. Um, so I think there's there's good reasons to do that for sure. Um, and then there are some other ideas about that. I mean, there's I've I have a colleague um, um, who I was teaching with here, Tim Murphy, who has had his students do what he called pro-social tasks, and basically he um, he got them to teach something to somebody else, right? Mm. Like the assumption is that you you know you're helping that person by teaching them something, and it's also uh, helping you because teaching is a form of learning, right? Yes. Um, so he's gotten students doing that, and I again they they create the content for that. They can they can find a song and sing it to somebody you know a friend or whatever, and that's you know that's what they do. Um, and so I think there's lots of ways to do this that we can get students involved in the in the in the um, in the materials um, yeah. and creating the materials and bringing in their own content. And of course, that's what happens if you have students, in a, if you're doing writing at all, you, you know, they're creating the, their own text, mm -hmm. which they can then share with their classmates or give a presentation on it. So it's, it, it does seem like a problem, but it's an issue, but it's really not. If you, if you kind of think about it from a teacher's point of view where yeah. we're doing, we, we are kind of always, um, working with the with what the students produce in class yeah um i'll add one point to that i think uh mm -hmm. the idea of materials creation for tasks and mm -hmm. and Je and jeff and and mike uh, jeff especially he touches on this quite a lot um mm -hmm. the idea that that it shouldn't be up to the teachers um mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. it's it's managers or, or curriculum designers that have this information yeah. that, that they have for for the course they're the ones that should be providing it because obviously teachers are are there to implement mm. them um obviously mm. they, they they should get input from 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 teachers and it's interesting because yeah. in next year um in mm. our academy we're looking to implement a task supported syllabus mm -hmm. so we're gonna we've we've brainstormed Good. all the tasks that we like yeah, and it's 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 our it's our step to move to towards sort of um a kind of a pedagogy that that we really believe in and right. okay. um, good but we've we've recognized that you know for us um <laughs> we need to create those tasks for the teachers but we mm. would like them to make them their own as well um mm. and so mm -hmm. i i i i can see the the sort of the, <laughs> the mix between the the idea of that it's it's not involving learners but it, it can involve learners as well um yeah. and yeah. i think perhaps that allowing teachers to work with that learner generated content in a way or or perhaps mm -hmm. even encouraging it is perhaps yeah. the right yeah. the right step yeah for sure 
Yeah, it's I think it. I think all of these, you know, the teachers want to be able to have some autonomy, right? And and the learners as well. I mean, and if if they're mature learners, they're going to want to do that, right? Um and they you know, so if they're ready for it and they want to do it, then then it shouldn't be, you know, always okay, we did it for you, so don't. So I think a good idea for that is to sort of set up a a bank of materials that everybody can just access and modify put yeah. put the you know files so that you can modify them and um there are a couple of really good um um repositories that have these kinds of materials already that are um on you can find them through the um uh the the international association for tblt website mm. um so maybe you can put up that link and and, and no, yeah, homework yeah. People can yeah, check yeah. out the uh, the Tath Bank and the uh, the Tath Corner, um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think materials that that's how in my experience that's always how it's been. I mean, people share materials, they modify them all the time. Yeah. Um, when you have these programs where you're using in-house materials, people always love to change them and will will want to put up their materials and share their materials too. Yeah. Um, so good luck. That sounds like a really great project at your school. Yeah. It's a big project. Um, yeah, <laughs> but it's. But I mean, uh, it's quite interesting that you mentioned Jeff. I'm gonna. I'm gonna see Jeff. At, he's gonna be presenting at a conference here quite soon. I'm gonna go see him. And um, we've, we've 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 communicated online a few times, but I'm looking forward okay. to having a discussion. I'm, and hopefully, I can get him on for a sponge chat one day. Um, oh, that would be great. Yeah, I yeah. would love to um, see that. Yeah, but he he talks about the EOT Hydra. Um, uh, which is the idea, you know, course book driven method or, or course book driven EOT. And mm -hmm. um, obviously we're, we're a language academy in Spain and we use course books as well, but we're trying to sort of bring in the tasks as well. So anyway, I, right, I will yeah. write, I will yeah. write up about my experiences after we've gone through with it. So expect something in the next year or two. <laughs> yeah. I hope you, I hope you do. I want to, I would love to read it and, and, you know, present it at the, at the TBLT conference. Um, yeah, I would love to get there, but it's just getting there. Often it's in places where it's a long way away. So, um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, things, yeah, it's, it's, well, it, it goes, it's been different. It's been in different places. It's, it's yeah. moving around a lot now. And so, yeah, yeah. I hope it'll be back in Spain. Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, but that would be lovely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would love to, yeah. Mm. It, they did have it there in Barcelona a few years ago. And I, I didn't mm. make it to that one, but, um, yeah, I heard it was very good. And yeah, um, great city. Okay, so so uh, just sort of segueing towards the end, I have one question before we get mm -hmm. into book recommendations. Um, are there any recommendations from yourself or implications from from research or what we know about TBOT? Implications for teacher educators or for managers looking to to work with tasks in their organizations or with teachers mm. what what would be one or two implications <clears throat> or recommendations for them okay um yeah for the okay for the teacher educators um okay so i would i would just base it on what i've been doing in um in my own class on tblt i think the best thing is to sort of practice what you preach try to introduce tblt um of course teachers need knowledge about it but they also need the skills to do it and they need um the confidence that it's going to be worth it right to do this um and so what i like to have my students do is um we when we get toward the end of the semester we have a, a sort of final project 
that involves four tasks. One is writing a lesson plan, writing a task-based lesson plan. Um, and then the other is a teaching demonstration, which they do. And then we, we video record that. Um, and then they do an observation of the lesson, a focused observation. So they, um, they talk with a partner and decide the, the focus, mm. um, the evidence that they're going to look for and the purpose of the observation. And then they have them go and look at the, the videos. I put them up, you know, on the course website and have them watch their, their video of their teaching and watch another person's demonstration so they can talk about them. Um, they come back in the class and we have a sort of debriefing where they discuss um, and then they do a written report of that uh, debriefing. That's the final sort of uh, activity for that, you know, or task for that, um, mm -hmm. that sequence of tasks. Um, so I think that's worked pretty well for me. Uh, I've done that a few times now. Of course, when the pandemic came, it had to be modified. So I was, you know, then everybody was at home. So they did sort of um, how-to videos. Yeah. And it was, that was actually, there were some great videos. I mean, they, they put up a video of, um, you know, how do you make these, uh, you know, macadamia nut pancakes or, you know, how do you take care of a pet bird? Or <laughs> And then they just had a discussion um, in Zoom about, you know, okay, what did you, you know, what did you learn and what, what, how do you do the task and do you understand? So you can, you can do it in all different ways, but I, I do think that having people design tasks uh, is a good way to, and teach them and reflect on them is a good way to um, help teachers understand TBLT. Um, and for the other group, I think the managers, I mean, I think it's just give it a try. You know, there's, there's, there's no harm in, in starting small. Of course, you can, you can see where it goes. You can find lesson plans. You can find task materials. Uh, you can look for textbooks. Um, there are a few uh, that, that are really task-based um, and might work. And, you know, you could try those out. Um, and I think also having workshops on it. I think having you know, a, a professional development day and, you know, yeah. having them focus on task-based language teaching is a good idea. Um, so all of those things. No, brilliant. Excellent. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. Um, and of course, one of the things that people should always be doing is reading because reading is good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, no, this is probably my, one of my favorite parts of Spanish chat. So we get to look at book recommendations or article recommendations okay. or, yeah. or resources that you, you would recommend for, for anyone that's looking to take their knowledge of TBOT a little bit further. Obviously the, the first one that I'm going to recommend is your element. Mm -hmm. um, oh, thank you. Okay. There it is there. Um, right. uh, <laughs> which, which is uh, for those that haven't read it, it's a very short read. Um, yes. much, many TBLT books are long reads. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so the, this is quite refre this yeah. is quite refreshing. Um, I did say in my review that that um, that that potentially it's probably not the first thing that that people should read. But I I was reading it yeah. again, and yeah, I, at, I, at I, least at least the first two sections are mm -hmm. actually quite good introductions. Um. Uh, and so okay. I, I, yeah. I would definitely yeah. put that on the on the reading list for for those right. looking to take, 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 take it yeah. further. Well, yeah. what about you? Yeah. Okay. Well, I I would say yeah. The one I mean, of course, this book by um, Jordan and Long, I think that is is excellent. It does. Um, it covers second language acquisition in the first part, and then it goes on to talk about um, issues in the ELT industry. 
Um, and it does bring up TBLT a lot. And it, it just talks about some issues that I think are really everybody's thinking about now. I mean, things like teacher precarity um, and just and and they just have such, you know, just really solid opinions about that and, and good mm -hmm. advice. Um, so so that book and also, you know, I, I always was going to hesitate because um, it's it's only out in hardcover now, but it's coming out. I saw on the publisher's website that it's coming out in paperback uh this year so i think that yeah get get a you know get a copy from the library if you can or it'll be yeah. out in paperback soon so so that one um for sure and then the um the aptitude book um if if people are interested in in knowing more about aptitude and implicit learning um and that you know as a as a um as a way that uh you know it's one of the rationales you know um for task-based language teaching that, that learners have this ability to just um, acquire languages naturalistically without much. Um, when's um, that coming out? Sorry. That one's coming out April, I think this year. So um, yeah, there's a link. There's already a web page for it. Um, Cambridge has a web page set up that I'll, I can send you the link. Yeah, um, okay. Um, so those are a couple of great books and, um, and I guess, um, I don't know if there's anything else I mentioned that, um, well, the TBLT website, I think, now has a great um, section where they have resources that are projects that people are doing. And there are two um, the two different ones. There's, I was just looking at, let me just see. Um, oh, anyway, it's one of them is called Task Bank. Um, and the other one is called Task Corner, and I've just been browsing these. There are links to them on the um, IATBLT website, and they're just anybody can upload um, tasks. Anybody can download the tasks there, and they have different languages and different um, proficiency levels, and a lot of interesting material there. So, um, so definitely check those out. Um, yeah. And so yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's there's, there's a lot yeah. there for people to. That's a good start, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I think oh, if, yeah, you, if you wanted to get a start on it, that would be, that would be, those would be good to look at. Yeah. No, definitely. I've, I've, I've got um, uh, a digital copy of, of uh, Jordan and Long's book and I've, I've read, uh, I think I've read maybe three chapters of it. Um, mm -hmm, I'm, I'm focusing mm -hmm. on my, on my MA stuff at the moment. So it's definitely on my mm. list to finish after. It's yeah. uh in true long and jordan style <laughs> it's 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 a yeah uh, very strongly written book um but very yeah. very informative for the parts that i've read so far and i'm looking forward to finishing that yeah so, yeah um, i thought it was it was well written and very well researched and yeah yeah worth definitely 100 percent yeah um well i mean we have uh normally these go for 45 minutes and we've been speaking for oh my an hour. okay <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But, Sorry about but, that. I was uh, probably a bit long-winded and yeah. No, 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 no apologies uh, needed. It was um, rambling a bit. <laughs> no, but it was very, very informative. Um, so, so Daniel, just want to say yeah. a, a huge thank you for for today. Um, and thank I you. do look yeah. forward to, to to meeting in person and perhaps at a conference one day. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. I hope we I hope we can meet up sometime. And um, good luck with your your um your your project at your school and your MA and, um, and everything else. And with this, um, with this podcast. Yeah. This bunch of chats. So thank you again for the opportunity. Yeah. Brilliant. Excellent. All right. Take care, Daniel.